This morning I want to talk about, we'll be concluding our series on, on revival, and I want to talk this morning about uh, a revival service, or, or the serving that is necessary for, for revival. Uh, revival is, is multifaceted in the sense of, you know, do, uh, do we bring down revival? Does God send revival? Uh, how does it all work? And, uh, you know, the answer is yes. It's, it's all working together. As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, we are co-laborers together with God. And, um, and uh, you know, my heart's desire is that we would even see uh, what we would call really a God-sent revival in our day. Um, I do believe the, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light, the more potential there is for a heaven-sent revival. I believe that's the heart of God uh, as we think about what is revival and what does God want to do with revival. And a lot of it involves what, what's happening with God's people. You know, many times we think revival is when a bunch of lost people get saved. I think that's the result of revival, but that's not revival. Revive means to make alive again. And, uh, and it's God's people that need revival. We've been made alive through Jesus Christ, but sometimes we need that life breathed into us again. And uh, we can start uh, falling into that old, that old dead man. And, um, and that we can need to come to life again. And so uh, we're going to be in Romans 12 uh, this morning. We'll, we'll touch on most of the chapter here, but we'll read uh, uh, just the first two verses. Three, we'll do the three verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and get right into this. A uh, very familiar passage. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us this morning as we consider this thought of serving one another as being servants of you. And Lord, we ask that, uh, that you look down on this humble congregation and see a people whose hearts are turned towards you, that you'd stir us, that you'd cause us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lord, we, may we be a people that you could trust with a heaven-sent revival. I pray, Lord, that you'd work in each and every one of our hearts. For judgment must begin at the house of God. And Lord, I pray that we would look at ourselves. How is our walk with you? How is our service for you? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, over the last several weeks, we looked at uh, various aspects of revival. The last two weeks, we spent really on prayer, the need for, or for prayer, and, uh, and really staying on your knees and, and uh, coming to God with importunity, uh, coming again and again and again. Last week, we looked at the need to, 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 to cry, to let it touch us internally, uh, touch our hearts, the need to, for tears with our prayers and to cry out to God, uh, revival's tears, we talked about. And... Um, um, a couple of uh, great uh, uh, quotes from um, R.A. Torrey, who was a revivalist of last century. And uh, he said this, he said, Great revivals always begin first in the hearts of a few men and women whom God arouses by the Spirit to believe in Him as a living God, as a God who answers prayer, and upon whose hearts He lays a burden uh, from, uh, from which no rest can be found except in persistent crying unto God. And my desire, my heart's cry is that, 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 that we would come to such a place where we are so longing to see the moving of God, so stirred in our hearts, uh, realizing that there is something missing. 
There's something drastically missing in Christianity. There's something drastically missing even in our own church. And uh, listen, we can do a lot of activities and we can have a lot of good time. And I enjoy the fellowship with the saints and I enjoy uh, the things that we do as a church family. But if God doesn't move, what's it for? If, If we don't get a touch from God, then what is it all for? If we don't understand the heart of God in these matters, then what is it for? And so, so we, we need God to arouse our hearts. We need God to touch us, His Spirit to move us. I mentioned this, and this kind of became the outline of, of this series. Um, when R.A. Torrey said this, he says, I have a theory that no church, chapel, or mission on earth where uh, you cannot have revival, uh, provided there is a little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until He comes down. First, let a few Christians, they need not be many, Get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. It is not done. Uh, if this is not done, the rest I'm going to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together in prayer groups to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for Him to use uh, to use them as He sees fit in the winning of others to Christ. That is all. This is sure to bring revival to any church or any community. I have given this prescription around the world, and it has been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed, and it cannot fail. And so we talked about that. We talked about our own personal walk with God, Uh, 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 being honest and open with God, an honest biblical confession before the Lord. Now listen, I'm so thankful that that I'm made right. I hate that. I really can't stand that phrase about uh, people often throw around that get right with God. And even as Ari Torrey said, get thoroughly right with God. Listen, I was made right with God the moment I got saved. Amen. The blood of Christ cleansed me from all sin, all unrighteousness. I am made, uh, in fact, uh, um, um, Nick quoted it this morning, uh, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. That word justified literally means made right. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not to say that there are things in our lives that trip us up. There are things in our lives that, that if we dabble in them, let me just say, uh, it, it is going to uh, uh, harm or damage our conscience. We're going to struggle with coming before God. We're going to struggle with that relationship with Him. And uh, there's nothing like that clean, open, honest confession before God where God's doing a work in our hearts. We are yielding ourselves to Him. We are repenting of sin. We are turning from those things. Hey, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaken them shall find mercy. And, uh, and, 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 and how important that is. Listen, we're not, uh, we don't take the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. We don't use the grace of God uh, and, uh, and abuse it in such a way that, oh, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. Uh, we've been saved to serve, and we've been saved so that we can walk with God. And so, so we take that, and then we, we get on our face, we get on our knees before God, we plead with Him, we beg with Him, till heaven comes down. We say, God, we need you to work, we need you to move. And then I want to talk this morning about putting ourselves at God's disposal for His service. Because what good is any of this if God doesn't have any vessels to work through? The Bible talks about that there are vessels unto honor, vessels unto dishonor. And, and to allow ourselves to be vessels fit for the master's use. So, so as we consider this, revival service. I want to first look at the first few verses here in Romans 12 and talk about the service's sacrifice. The sacrifice. And, and this, this is, you know, Romans 12 brings a nice logical order because first and foremost, we start out in verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. 
uh, to beseech us to beg. Can you imagine uh, the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul uh, 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 extended to, to the churches? He says this, I'm begging you for something. Now think about this. The Christ who gave us all for us, sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, giving you eternal life, pardoning you of all of your sins. He comes to you and says, hey, can I ask a favor? Can, in fact, I'm taking it a step further. I'm going to beg you for something. Can you imagine God coming and begging you for something? I mean, I, I, you know, you look, response would be, Lord, anything for you. You did so much for me. How can I not respond with a yes, Lord? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Uh, you don't have to tell, give me the details. You don't have to tell me what it is. I, I, love, uh, I love the story of Isaiah in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, he has that vision of heaven, and, uh, and, uh, and he has, sees the angels calling out, uh, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And you see that whole uh, picture there. And, uh, and, and the Lord says, Whom shall we send, and who will go for us? Simple question. And, and Isaiah, before he really knows what he's signing up for, says, Lord, here am I, send me. Then he starts to get some more information. And the information that is given is... Uh, is, okay, you're going to preach, but no one's going to listen. <laughs> so Isaiah says, well, how long do I have to do this? And God says, to the land be desolate. There's no more to preach to. <laughs> I wish you would have told me all this before I signed up. In other words, I want you to do something for me. And humanly speaking, when others look upon this, you're going to be a failure. There's going to be no results. You see? And, uh, but then God gives him this word of encouragement. But you know what? There's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a tenth that are going to respond. You know, I, I believe this. I don't think God's ever been impressed with numbers. It's faithfulness that he desires. It's faithfulness that he requires. You know, the celebrity, celebrity preachers on this earth are probably not going to be the celebrity preachers in heaven. Sacrifice. God's, God's coming before us. The Holy Spirit of God saying, I beg you something. By the very mercies of God that you present... You bring before, you lay down, you set aside, you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. I want to say this about this, um, um, this sacrifice. It is an intentional decision. It says to present. The, the, the verb tends there, it's, it's something that takes place in the past one time. And what it does is it impacts into the future. I used to always look at this verse and say, you know, there's going to be times where I sacrifice more or I lay myself down more or I'm more surrendered. And until I started studying this out a little bit, I realized, wait a minute, this was a one-time decision. Just like when you came to Christ, there was a one-time decision that impacted the rest of eternity. So is this sacrifice. This is that next-level thing to where you make such a commitment to God. says, God, I am yours. And whatever you say, uh, I am, I'm already saying yes. And there will be times where I may have some reservation. There will be times where I'm not as far in as you want me to be in. But, but my direction, the way I'm facing, my posture is this. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow after you. I remember years ago, uh, a pastor asked me to, uh, I don't know if it was pray for the offering or something. I was a, a younger Christian. And I got so nervous. It was a big church service. I got so nervous, I said I couldn't do it. And I, I said, no, thank you. And so he, he had someone else, uh, you know, uh, pray for the offering. That whole sermon, I don't even know what the sermon was about. That whole service, I was so convicted <laughs> over something so simple. Like God said, I gave you an opportunity to do something for me. 
And you said no. I don't even know what the sermon was about, but I could not wait till the altar call. I just wanted to go and, and fall on my face before God, and I did. And I said this to God. I said, God, any opportunity you give me to serve you, if it doesn't conflict with another opportunity you've given me, the answer is yes. And I'll tell you, God's put that to the test over the years. I remember one time I was invited um, to, um, uh, to go preach a, uh, a youth conference down in Mexico. Now, understand something. When an American preacher is invited to go preach in Mexico, these were in national churches. It wasn't an American missionary or anything. Uh, you're not going to be getting a love offering. You're not going to get travel paid for or any of those kinds of things. I'm a poor church planter where I was at at the time and, and uh, you know, uh, just super busy. I honestly didn't have time for this. I really didn't want to go. And God brought this commitment back to my mind. So you, told, you told me that if you got an opportunity to do anything, you'd say yes. So I went. I went down there. And I'm so glad I did. I remember the last night of that youth conference, 40 young people got saved. And it was something I'd never actually experienced before, the, 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 the moving of God that was there. I believe it was because of these pastors, not because of me as the preacher. They had prayed and they had planted. But it was a 40-minute long altar call. Forget the sermon. God began moving in that altar call. And it was so amazing watching this unfold. There were a couple, uh, there's probably 100, 150 teenagers that were there. I'd say probably 100. I, I don't know. I'm not good at estimating numbers. I'm picturing it in my mind. But some of these leaders, as I've been there throughout the week, some, some of the, the more um, influential young people in this youth group, who you can tell have been mentored by their pastor, and they all got up and they, they went to that altar and they began praying. Then they went back to their seats, started opening the Bibles with their friends that they had brought, and started going over Scripture. And then they'd come forward with their friend, and their friends would kneel down, and they were, they were getting saved. They were crying out to God for salvation. Then they'd go back, and they'd get more friends. And this is going on and on, and the pastor there is conducting the meeting, and he's kind of giving more instruction. And, and, uh, and I'm asking my interrupter, I said, uh, what are they saying? What's going on here? And he said, they're just continuing with the gospel presentation and, and, and these young people getting saved. It, was, it blew me away. And I remember going back to my hotel room that night. I said, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of this. And guess what? I didn't get a love offering. I didn't even get my hotel paid for. But I got something so much more valuable. I got to be used of God. Have you come to that place where you've made that commitment? Lord, I'm yours. I, don't, I mean, I understand it all, and I don't know what all that means, but I'm at your disposal. When, when they would come to this passage, especially the Jews that believed, and they'd see this idea of a sacrifice, instantly what would come to mind would be the Old Testament sacrifices. There many times would be a blood sacrifice or a fleshly sacrifice. And they would bring this animal that would be a sacrifice there, and they'd, they'd kill that animal, and they'd lay it on the altar. I'm sure Wes can unpack this a little bit more than I, I can, as he's been uh, really diving into this with our young people. But, uh, but they, they, would, they would offer this sacrifice. 
and all the things that would go with that, there was going to be a lot of blood. There's going to be, can you imagine the smell of the burning flesh and, and, and all the things that go with it? Their mind would just go to a certain place and think about this sacrifice to God, though smelly to us, though disgusting to us, going up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. But then there's an interesting thing that Paul puts in here. He says this, that I want you to present yourself a living sacrifice. <clears throat> now that doesn't make sense. That sounds like a contradiction. An oxymoron, because you know, when something is sacrificed, there's no more life left in it. It is not its own anymore. It has been sacrificed. So what is this living sacrifice? It is a posture, it is a disposition that I am dead to self. It's no longer about me. I've given myself fully at the disposal of someone else. I am a living sacrifice. But notice, what is it that's being sacrificed? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How often do we hear this phrase? Give your heart to Christ. And he wants your heart. But how often do we say, give your body to Christ? Give your body to Christ. Because, folks, we need to realize the vehicle by which God gives us to serve him is our body. You can't serve him without your body. He's given us our bodies to serve him. I mentioned this uh, last Sunday night that, that uh, this, this, the, the mindset there of the first century, they thought the body was evil. They thought anything flesh was wicked and you couldn't glorify God with your body. And yet God challenges us. Paul often refer, uh, goes to this about how we are to honor him with our bodies. In fact, uh, hold your place there. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, uh, look at verse number 12. Paul goes through several chapters unpacking a, a certain thought, but, but in, in verse 12 here, it says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. By the way, can I say this? Be careful of this dangerous doctrine that many refer to as lordship salvation. Because, in fact, that's where you're going to hear that word, get right with God, tossed around a lot. That in order to be saved, you have to make God Lord of your life and all yours. And, uh, and, and, and they'll try to counter it with what the, they'll say is cheap grace. Now, if I'm going to be in either camp, then I will say this. Yeah, I'm in cheap grace. Now, I don't see grace as a cheap thing. It costs Christ his life. But there is nothing I can do to earn the grace of God. And the flip side of that, if there's nothing I can do to earn the grace of God, there's nothing I can do to lose the grace of God. Now I need to learn to walk in His grace. But His grace is there for me. For anyone who is in Christ uh, has experienced and received the grace of God. And so the reality is this. Did you know there's nothing you can do? If you are saved here today, there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. If salvation is what the Bible says it is, like, you know, eternal life, how long does eternal go for? A long time. All right? If you could lose it, it would probably say something like this. Uh, um, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have, have a, a, a conditional life. Temporary life. As long as life. No, no, it's everlasting life. 
So with that in mind, the reality is this, that, 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 that Christ uh, fulfilled the law, completed the law, and in a sense even abolished the law uh, in that there is no law that you and I must fulfill to be saved except the law of, 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 of God in Christ, which is believe on the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What work must be done? Here are the works. Believe on him who, 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 uh, 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 whom God had sent. So the reality is, all things, in a sense, are lawful. There's nothing that will condemn me to hell. But it goes on, but not all things are expedient. You say, what does that mean? It's not helpful. It's not beneficial. You know, it's amazing how many times, and this is often an argument uh, really from a rebellious heart, we might say this, well, what's wrong with it? Teenagers will say that. What's wrong with this? Well, how about this? What's right with it? The Bible challenges us to prove all things, proving what is acceptable unto God. In fact, the word prove even shows up in, uh, in, in Romans 12 here. But here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. That's an important aspect, right? Because there are things in this life that bring us under their power, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be certain things. Uh, Let me just tell you, uh, social media. I become under the power of influence of others. I become under the power of uh, of those that are pulling me away from God. I will not be brought under the power of any. Uh, What power do I want to be brought under? I want to be brought under the power of God. I want him to lead me. I want him to control me. I'll be not brought under the power of any. Verse 13, meat for the belly and belly for the meats. That was one of their expressions. Well, you know, it's just, you know, uh, that's what it's for, right? We're supposed to just give in to these things. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, uh, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, this is what blew the mind of the first century thought, because the, well, the, mind's e- or the body's evil, so I can just do whatever I want. I can eat you know, meat for the belly, belly for the meat. I can go fornicate because it's all about pleasure. I can go do all these things because it's just, you know, that, it's just the flesh. That's all it is, as long as, as, long as you know, God knows my heart. He says, you know, you're missing something very valuable. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. That is the tool, that is the instrument that God has given you to serve Him. So it goes on. Verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power, knowing yet that, uh, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two say he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth, uh, doeth is without the body, but he that commits fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, we talk about so much about, well, the spirit. It's all about the spirit. God knows my, what? Heart. But he says, wait a minute. Glorify God with your body. That's a whole other level. Wait, my body? Does God care what I put on? Does God care what I put through my body? 
does God care what I permanently put on my body? Put some thoughts out there. Like, like let's ask this. It, it, you know, can you know if you can at the end of the day kneel down and say, God, this is for your glory. This is to honor you. These are things we got to think about. Is this something? You know, now, now listen. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. As I'm preaching this, I'm feeling guilty because I engaged in a cinnamon roll. I brought a stumbling block for the Sunday school class today. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I had uh, all my, my healthy additives in my, wa- in my coffee today, and I was like, yeah, no sugar today. There it is. Hey, it was all lawful. But think about it. For me, as I have certain goals and I have certain things I was trying to strive for, was that expedient? Was it helpful to me? I have a sugar headache right now, folks. It is not expedient, I'm telling you, right now. If my wife's watching the live stream. She's like, ooh. But he's saying this, your body is for God. And God's for your body. Yes, we are admonished, but Paul... Bodily exercise profited little. But it doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. It talks about putting it in proportion, and you better be exercising unto godliness. That's the important aspect. But it's not to say that his body, by the way, which you are a steward of. Be careful with these kinds of things. You are a steward of that body. If you abuse it, that's, your, that's the, one, the one tool, the one instrument that God has given you to serve him. It's just something to, to, to really think about here. And specifically, he takes us to this thing of fornication. That, that actually is a sin against your own body, the tool that God has given you to serve him. Other tools, by the way, are replaceable. You know, my vehicle is a tool to serve God. But that's replaceable. This building is a tool God's given our church to serve him. By the way, the building is just a tool. The, to, the building is not the church. But this building is replaceable. But your body, you get one of those. And that's the vehicle that God has given each of us to steward over, to serve him. Let's go back to Romans 12. So we see this aspect of the body is the thing to sacrifice. Romans 6.13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Your members is your physical body, your arms, your legs, your, your body parts. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of, of righteousness unto God. So we see here this sacrifice. Uh, notice verse number two. And be not conformed to this world. The word there, conform, is the idea of being forced into a mold. And have you noticed that the world tries to stick you into their mold? There's a mold that they have, that, the, this idea, this concept. And today it's probably more prevalent than ever before in the sense of, of, of they want you to think like them and they want you to approve of them. It's no longer this, this coexist. There's no longer this tolerance. By the way, it's been a while since we've heard that phrase coexist, right? Have you noticed that? That's not a phrase we hear much anymore because they don't want us to coexist anymore. And then they, they take the word tolerate or tolerance and they've changed the definition. Here's what tolerance means. By the very definition of tolerance, you have to disagree with somebody and get along with them anyway. But in order to tolerate, you have to disagree. Uh, you don't tolerate somebody you agree with. Have you notice that? Because you're in agreement. What do you tolerate? You tolerate things you disagree with. 
But is that what the world wants? No, they want you to agree. They want you to approve. They want you to praise. That's how far it's come. They want you to praise the thing that you disagree with. And if you open your mouth, guess what? You're a bigot. Be not conformed to this world. By the way, Christians are being conformed to this world left and right. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the way, the context here is presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Be ye transformed, where does transformation come? Is it outside in? No, it's inside out. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's part of your soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will. By the renewing of your mind, it may prove, there is that word prove, prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God, or acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so yes, there is a battle going on, a battle for your body. It's a battle for your soul, your mind. And, uh, and listen, it's not the outside, it's the inside. Jesus addressed those Pharisees, right, as whited sepulchers. And if we're not careful, all we do is, is we'll say, well, I'll just conform the outside. I'll make the body look like it's supposed to look. And, I'll, I'll, you know, it's going to come from the heart that has already surrendered, that's already made the decision, I will present myself a living sacrifice. There is a heart level. So it's not that God only cares about one or the other. He wants your heart, but your heart is going to allow you to surrender the instrument, the tool that God's given you to serve him. So if we're going to see a revival, if we're going to see God do something, we, we, have, we fall on our face. Yes, God, take my heart, take my life, take my body. And that's the order it must be. Young people are really, are the ones that really uh, sneak up on us and shock us because they know how to behave externally. No parent in here can control the heart of their child. The rules and requirements they put on them really are external. And now we are hoping that in doing so, we're directing their hearts. We're hoping that in doing so, we're, we're guiding and helping them out. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to know. You're not going to know for years from now. It's a, it's a, it's a nervous thing. I think about the, the Connollys. Their son just graduated uh, boot camp down there, and he's in training uh, to be a, uh, a crew chief in the Air Force. And there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of nerves going on. There's a lot of, they're, I'm sure they've upped their prayer life because they're going to start figuring out, and, and Lennon's going to start figuring out where his heart is, where his convictions lie. Has he bought in, or was he just conforming outwardly? You see, and by the way, we've got to pray for Lennon. We've got to pray for Jabin, who's off at college. Because, because they they're not, no longer have mom and dad watching over them, and they no longer have, have, uh, have those church functions where they know how to dress and how to act and how to behave and how to talk and all those things. That's all external, and we can, we can follow rules. But where's our heart? Where's our devotion? Where's our walk with God? It should flow from there, but that's not to negate the outside. The heart needs to be right so that the outward can it'll just flow. You're not putting on a show. We all right this morning? So in verse 2, we see this transformation that takes place. Now, what's interesting about transformation is, is this transformation take place. If I've presented myself a living sacrifice, there's an element of sacrifice that is death. I'm dying to self, I'm dying to my ways and my will, and I'm giving myself wholly to God. And so I'm giving myself as a living sacrifice. Then it says to be transformed. See, confirmation, to be conformed to something, is to look like it or to fit into the mold. 
I'm fitting in, we might say. But transformation is, an, is, a, is a complete change. It's from the inside out. It's, it's the idea of a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's something different. Metamorphosis. It's something completely different. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. And in order for me to get there, I have to come to this place where I am presented, I have buried it, I have, I have, I have reckoned myself to be dead indeed unto, uh, to, to, to the flesh and alive unto God. I'm, I'm no longer my own. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, for that, for that, that seed to bring forth fruit, it has to actually die. It goes into the ground and it dies. It cracks open. It breaks open. And now there's an opportunity for that to grow into more. And folks, that's when Jesus goes on to say, whoever will save his life shall lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, in the Gospels, you'll save it. Sacrifice. Look at, let's look at sacrifice gifts, or services gifts, rather. We see in verse number three, for I say through the grace given unto me, every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than not to think. When we think about that phrase, right, he puts it in here very strategically. Don't think higher of yourself than you ought to think. Because the mindset, and it's no different today, the mindset is the measure of a person's greatness is how many people serves him. How many people serve him? Look at how many servants I have. Right? Remember that man that came to Jesus, the centurion? And he says, I'm a man under authority, but I also have uh, people under my authority. He says, I say to one, go, and he goeth. I say to one, cometh, and he cometh. And, uh, and, he, and, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, in essence, he was submitting himself to Christ's authority. Will you hear my son? If you just say the word, I know it will happen. The Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man because he understood this thing of authority. There was no expectation. He humbled himself saying, saying I have authority, but you have greater authority. See, if we're not careful, he's saying, well, don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand? I'm, I'm, I'm such a gift to this church. And we start talking about service, and we think, well, that's below me. Oh, really? Really? So don't think higher than you ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man a measure of faith. For, whether we have, or for as we have many members in one body... All members have not the same office. You know, there's a diversity in this church. There's a diversity of gifts, uh, offices, those kind of things. Verse number five. So we being many are one body in Christ. Everyone members one of another. So we're members of each other, just like a physical body is made up of many members. My hands and my feet are complementary to each other. You understand? If I had all hands, you know, if I had all feet, if I had all ears, I don't know if you're like me, but my mind works in pictures. <laughs> it's not balanced. It doesn't make any sense, but my body is very complementary to itself. I have a good proportion of ears to mouth. I have a good proportion, right? Uh, I have a functioning body, and it works well. It balances itself out. So, so it goes on. There, there are many diff, diver, There's a diversity here, but it makes up this one body. That's very important to understand. So don't think more highly than not to think. Don't, don't get high-minded, well, uh, isn't the church lucky to have me as this body part that I'm fulfilling? No, no, you are too balanced. It's a balanced thing. So it says this, having gifts differing 
according to the grace uh, which is given to us. He is something given to us, grace, not something we do ourselves. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So we have the spiritual gift of prophecy, speaking forth the word of God. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. The person who is a servant, they serve, they do ministry work. He that teacheth on teaching, the person that is expounding on the scriptures and expounding on life principles, verse number 8. Uh, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, bringing practical application to life and, uh, and, and exhorting, building up, helping the people in those areas. He that giveth, let him do with simplicity. Some people have the spiritual gift of giving. And now we're all commanded, by the way, to do all of these things. But certain people have certain, uh, certain they excel in one of these areas, right? So the giver, uh, by the way, the gift of giving is the gift of getting. He's good with money, and, he, and, he's, uh, and God has given him to that church to help fund things and to help move things along and to think from that perspective. They oftentimes will be very great on building committees or, or whatever when it comes to having to be wise with the resources, God's resources. He that giveth, let him do it simplicity. He that ruleth, this would be administrative, uh, with diligence. He that showeth mercy or compassion uh, uh, with cheerfulness. By the way, it's very easy to be uh, the mercy person. Uh, and to get down to the dumps all the time because they're really good at getting your hurt in their heart so they can weep with them that weep and rejoice them that rejoice. He says, guys, do it with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. Sitting aside somebody who's experienced a loss. Not that you're laughing with them. You're still mourning with them, but you're, you're cheerful. You're glad to do it. And what's he doing? He's addressing all the heart aspects of these spiritual gifts. We're going to uh, teach on spiritual gifts here again soon. That's something I think we ought to revisit probably annually and uh, kind of keep that before us because I think it's a very important aspect of the local church. But God's given us the gifts to do the service. So, so it starts with, if we're going to, uh, to see revival through the service being at God's disposal, it starts with having that attitude, the mindset that I am a sacrifice. I've laid myself down. I'm going to use this body for him, the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God has then equipped us, given us spiritual gifts. By the way, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, you ought to do some study and figure out, where is my spiritual gift? Where do I land in this thing? And, and that will help you to find how you fit in the body because we're members one of another in this thing. Now, don't think more highly than you have to think. Well, I should be served. I shouldn't be the one serving. Okay, we already have a problem. We're already starting off behind, and, uh, and that's not something that God's going to use. Lastly, let's look at this, the heart behind it, the heart of this service. How do we view each other? Now, let me, let's, let's make sure we're keeping everything in context. This whole chapter, needs to be, it's building upon itself, the whole context. So look at, uh, look at verse number, uh, well, let's do three again. For I say unto you, through the grace that I've given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as uh, God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Look at verse number nine. And everything that follows here, it's a whole bunch of like, like commands, a bunch of uh, uh, imperatives that God gives us. But it all falls into this context of verse number one, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. And verse number three, not to think more highly than you ought to think. So verse number nine, that love be without dissimulation. And when's the last time you used the word dissimulation in a sentence? The word dissimulation, it, it, it means unfeigned. Uh, uh, it's not faked. It's uh, uh, undisguised. It's uh, sincere. This is genuine. It's real. You know, we're really good in churches faking love. I can't tell you how many times I've been stabbed in the back by someone who said so much, you know, just declared how much they love me and appreciate me. We're really good at it. 
I remember one time years ago, we were in Southern California, and a man who'd been there for a while, he uh, came up to me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, we're behind you, and we're not going anywhere. And I just smiled at him. I said, don't say that. Just live it. I appreciate the sentiment, but I told him, I said, experience has shown me that 100% of the time when someone makes a statement like that, they're gone. And guess what? I was a prophet. But being real about it, being genuine. By the way, I, I, I'd rather, I've, I've got no problem with it. You know, I, I often tell you, church, how much I do love you and appreciate you. But rather than say it, let's show it. Let's, let's let love be genuine. Let's let love be real. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great chapter if you want to figure out what love is all about. This agape love, it's not selfish. selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's very patient. It's kind. It's gentle. It's, it's uh, all these things. And, and, uh, and, and, and so often we look at love in the way of there's always an angle. There's always uh, something where, you know, what am I going to get out of this? That's how the world looks at it. But let it be genuine. Remember, in the context of presenting your body, the, my hands, my feet, my body, this is for loving. This is the vehicle by which I do it. You understand? You say, well, how do you do it? Depends on the person. What's the need? You see? So it says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Hey, are we good at that? Do we abhor evil? Folks, if we're not careful, we become very tolerant of evil. We don't abhor it. Evil is so pervasive in our, in our society. We've gotten very comfortable with it around us. So we just sort of put up with it. Ephesians 5 talks about having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And then it talks about, you know, bring, basically call attention to it. Bring it to light and reprove it. Abhor it is what it says here. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave, hold on tight to that which is good. And by the way, we ought to be doing this within our lives as well. Praise good things. Praise, uh, praise notable things. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Kindly affectioned. I don't know about you. How many of you struggle with affection? I'm just not a very affectionate person. You know what it says? Be kindly affectioned one to another. Now, before your mind gets all weird about it, with brotherly love. It throws that on there, right? Brotherly love. Well, how do you show affection to your brother? Well, some of you may say, well, I didn't grow up in a very affectionate home. We never said I love you. We never give hugs, all those kind of things. Well, guess what? Let's learn to love in a pure way. So we're going to start greeting one another with a holy kiss, amen? Just kidding. But showing that affection. You know what? Sometimes you can show affection just by giving up time. Sitting down with somebody. That's why I love the, the pattern we've developed of just having a, you know, our Sunday night potlucks. I understand you can't always make it to them, but, but it allows you to just sit down and hear each other out. You're not rushed. You're not, you know, after service is nice, you hang out and fellowship a little bit. But, but at the end of the day, you're, 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 you know, there's not a whole lot that can go on in that short period of time. Sit down. Figure out what's going on in people's lives. So you can show that affection and brotherly love. In honor, here's one, preferring one another. Putting someone else before yourself. Again, this is all in the context of presenting your bodies, a uh, living sacrifice unto God. 
You cannot serve God apart from serving others, and the vehicle which you do that is your body. So be kindly affectionate to one another, brotherly love, honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business. In other words, I've seen people, you know, use that verse, and it's, it's applicable, you know. That means, you know, if you're going to work a job, do it with all your might to the Lord and all that. That's all true, but look at the context. In the way you serve others, you're not slothful in the business. Maybe there's a need, a physical need that comes up in the church. Somebody needs something taken care of at their house. You don't do just this half-hearted job. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. We're not slothful in the way that we're going to serve each other. We're not slothful in the business of loving one another. Fervent in spirit. You see, our young men aren't out there shoveling in the walkway, grumbling and complaining. This is a great opportunity for me to serve God. And I'm going to be fervent in, this, in it, you know. As the song leading was going on and everyone was kind of waking up this morning, I had to jump up here. I was like, let's get, some, let's get some fervor in our spirit this morning. Let's wake up. Let's sing to the Lord. Not just go through the motions. Oh, we've got to sing a few songs before we have the preaching. Let it stir us. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope. We're talking about the heart. Rejoicing in hope. You know, God's given us a lot of, a lot of things to be hopeful for. Hope in the Bible, I love the, it's not the way we use hope in our everyday language. So we use hope like, well, I hope this works out. I hope I get the raise. I hope I get a promotion. I hope I get the job. I hope, you know, it's like the crossing your fingers. Hope in the Bible is an expectation based on the promises of God. And folks, we hold tight to those promises. And we, we look forward to that. In fact, the return of Christ is the, known as the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this day and age, as we come together, uh, we, we, we ought to be increasing our hope together. Because God has not forsaken us, and He still is working. And as we even consider this thought of revival, we have hope in the fact that God wants to send revival. God wants to see people saved. God wants to see hearts stirred. God wants to work in our midst. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. How is that in the context of serving? Well... You realize in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I've overcome this world. And, and there are going to be times where we go through difficulties, difficulties, but we're not alone in this thing. We're going to give our bodies to help others in tribulation. And by the way, we're going to give our bodies to even go through tribulation. I think about Romans 5, it talks about how tribulation, we rejoice in tribulation, glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation works with patience and patient experience and experience, what? Anybody know? Hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Wow, we rejoice in those things. I think about James 1, Count all joy, my brethren, and fall into diverse temptations. Tribulation, trials. And what does that lead us to? To continue instant in prayer. People of prayer. We're giving our bodies in prayer. Yeah, we ought to pray with our heart. We're actually even giving our bodies to prayer. Distributing the necessity of the saints. That's a great aspect of service. We are here to help one another, to aid in others, and, and, and then it says, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Well, well you know, th this comes back to how, how is that even possible? Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but esteeming others and giving your body a living sacrifice. That's how you do it, because you are not your own. Dead people don't get offended. You notice that? Go, go down to the cemetery and try. Try to offend one. And let me know how it goes. Bless and curse not. 
Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice. That's an opportunity for us to serve. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Uh, you know, in other words, uh, trying to get ahead or the things that this world emphasizes and, you know, I'm doing this for promotion or whatnot. No, no, don't mind high things, but condescend to men of low estate. You go and you serve the lowest. This homeless man wanders into the church. Uh, every one of us should greet him. Every one of us should go serve him. I remember there, when we were in Southern California, there was a homeless guy that would come uh, probably every third or fourth week would show up just so he can charge his cell phone. And he'd sit through the service while his cell phone charged. And every service he came, we loved him. And we talked with him, we visited with him, and we plugged our nose. And we put up with it. And we loved on him. I remember in that same church, there was a, there was someone there that, um, there was a, a man who was just kind of down and out, had lost his job and was, would have been homeless, but somebody in the church took him in and was bringing him to church with them. And he was a homosexual. He must have come probably 10 or 12 weeks straight. In every service, he'd leave crying. And I'd talk with him, and he'd say, Preacher, you got me all stirred up again. And he just kept coming. I said, why did you keep coming? And he says, oh, I just feel so loved here. And he got the gospel so many times. I don't know if he ever responded. But we loved on him, preached the gospel to him. But you know, everyone's got sins they're carrying with them. Everyone's, and especially if you're, if you're lost, you're in bondage to your sin. I know there are people out there that'll say, don't, ever, don't even preach the gospel to a homosexual. They've already rejected, have they? We'll let God work all that out, okay? Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind. Uh, 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 condescending men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. By the way, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. There are some times where it's just not possible. Hey, the world hated Jesus. They couldn't put up with him. They killed him. It may come to that point. We'll jump down to verse 21 and we'll close. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. All in the context of presenting your body a living sacrifice. How do I serve? Folks, if we're going to be a church that God can trust with revival, yes, God needs to deal with our hearts. Yes, we need to get on our faces before God. But we need to be at His disposal to serve. And where does service start? It's in the house of God. It's we serve one another. And we become a church that is known for service. When people come, when visitors come, they say there's people with a heart to serve. And they love each other. It's genuine. It's not faked. It's, it's without dissimulation. They show affection like a brother. And I tell you what, when I'm there, I'm not just some person that slips in and slips out. I was loved. I was loved. By the way, we may only get one shot with some people. How do we steward that? Let's go and stand together. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.